All right, before anything else happens, I need to uh, begin this episode with a couple of things. I totally did not expect you to start like that. Um, first off, uh, my sister talks to me about how she wa- has watched the whole podcast. Watched or listened to. You know what I mean. <laughs> you don't need to make me feel dumb. Start over. Start the whole episode. No, no, no. Keep going. She listened to the whole thing. Um, and she told me that there's an episode where I go off about my brothers-in-law. And I have completely forgotten how mean I was about my brother-in-law Jacob. <laughs> and uh, this is this you is have to compensate. Yeah, I, I'm coming this. back. I'm coming back to say, uh, Jacob. I don't think you listen to this. I doubt you do, especially after that episode. But uh, there were a lot of other things going on, like exterior <laughs> stressors, and I was like ref- deflecting because my dad was like mad at me for doing work, and then he kept talking about how he wished that you were doing stuff, and I was like, but he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't even freaking live here. All he did was marry your daughter. Be glad she doesn't live in the house anymore. But then I was getting like frustrated about that stuff because you know, you know, my dad. He's always got things going on. So. Um, that, that had nothing to actually do with you. I was mad at my dad and uh, not you. And you're a good guy. You're a great guy. You're a nice guy. Uh, you seem a little distant sometimes, but that's just because we're all freaks and you know. It. And uh, I can't really blame you for wanting to stay away from me and my family because, uh, you know, we are insane people. And that's a fact. Um, secondly, last week I promised to drink antifreeze on the podcast uh but jared's wife uh emailed us and told me not to drink she it. did email us directly and she said do not drink she said, do antifreeze. not drink the antifreeze so if you wanted me to drink antifreeze um recommend this podcast to two of your friends and send me a video of you telling your mom that you love her and if i get one of those i will drink the antifreeze no matter what just so, one video no, of you I'm telling your curious. mom like, you like, I'm really curious as to what it tastes like yeah, after we talked about it last time. It. I'm like genuinely curious. So if I get, if within the next week I get somebody to send me a video of them telling their mother they love them, uh, you can send this to me through any medium, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, etc. I don't count, right? Straight through the email. You don't count. Dang it. Um, then I will drink antifreeze next week on the podcast. But... Uh, that's, I think that's everything I needed to say before we got started. All right, before we begin, remember, this is the, the, the uh, format of this podcast is that... Wait, hold on, hold on. Before you say that, can I ask my first question I was asking today? Sure. What is this for? I'm not even kidding. No, oh yeah, that was a question that you got. Yeah, somebody asked me what this is for. Uh, this is a school project that we have been working on. We're actually in cahoots with upper levels of, uh, upper echelons of the government and of our school systems because... <clears throat> This is experiment on uh, social commentary. Our goal is to help foreign countries, like like people in foreign countries, learn to speak English. Mm. But we also want to kind of radicalize them towards our American ideals. It's this very subversive thing that we have going on. Uh, we actually we're not supposed to say that, but because we don't have a huge group of listeners yet, I'm not really stressed about you know revealing what we're really here for. Yeah, and besides, to... if the federal government kills me, the federal government kills me. They give me what I want. Yeah, it's I mean it's not that big of a deal. Win-win so, situation for me. Yeah. So anyway, that's why we're doing this is because yeah. it's a this is a subversive. Um, it was a it was a student project. We were handpicked by our professor. Like I'm not supposed to use this term, but it is tied to the ter- to the uh, Operation MK Ultra. Um, yeah, but because that, but yeah, yeah, it's adrenochrome, but because that's all declassified, it's not that big of a deal. If I, if yeah, I like say you guys it, should I, know what that yeah, is. You should know what that is. You should know your government so, isn't your friend. They're not on your side and they want you dead. So if you didn't know that before, oops, surprise. If you just learned it now, then you have, this is what the ninth episode. 
then you are nine episodes into a psyop and we have been doing everything we can to convince you that uh reality is the way we perceive it so anyway that's why we're doing this podcast that's why we're out here we were hired we're we, we were we were we are being paid off i'm being paid in uh chinese foreskins Why are you getting good? Th- they're just paying me money. That's not fair. I'm getting that like youth cream lotion that no, the elites are using. Look it up. It's on like Ellen. It like Steve Harvey got it put on his hands. Yep, it's nasty. All right. So the format of this podcast, we invent, we invented the podcast. People ask us questions. We answer them. Real simple, real straight. That is legit. If you want to ask us a question, where do you go to, JD? JD and Tanner talk about stuff at gmail.com, or you can find either me or Tanner at our personal and private social medias and emails. I'm not going to drop our emails or social media here. If you don't know them, then just, you know, contact us via work, which is JD and Tanner talk about stuff at gmail. And that is how it's, it's spelled the way it sounds. JD is two letters. It's literally the name of the podcast at gmail. Mm Mm-hmm. With no spaces. No spaces. So anyway, that is password. The, that is the format of the podcast. That's why we. That's uh, why yeah. we were doing it. So we are going to go right into the podcast. Was that the question you were going to ask? No. So that was one of them that I was just eliminating. Oh yeah, you were Here's you were going to rapid fire a few of them. So yeah, I wasn't going to rapid fire a few of them, but I am going to give us one more. This is a really quick. We can say yes or no. Okay. Um, have you ever sucked your own toes? No. No. But I, to the to the asker, I doubt you listen to this. I will suck yours. That's not a promise. That is a threat. All right. Um, now we're going to <laughs> just gonna a... brush that off. All right. <laughs> You're just gonna let me say that and move on. I'm not. I'm not stressed about it. That's <laughs> well, not your toes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, my question this week is: Why do you think people have such a hard time accepting change? That's a solid question to be asking here. Yeah. It's 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 an intense question. So I just figured we could go right into it. Because this will probably take up a solid chunk of the episode. Well, let me tell you. I think the reason people have a hard time accepting change is the same reason that people make bad decisions in life. It's the same reason that people let uh, bad things that happen to them kind of control them subconsciously and consciously. And that is, uh, to change requires introspection. You have to look into yourself, which is a painful thing to do. You have to look... For the lessons that are to be learned, you have to look for the growth that can be had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people that just don't want to do that. So where's what has been an instance where you've been afraid of change? Because I know you and I have both been afraid of change uh, at some point in our life. And I'm, I just kind of want to bring up, can you think of a specific instance where we can where, that we can draw on? Yeah, I mean, I can give you... Alright, so really abrupt change in subject really quick because... We are recording later at night than we've ever recorded before. Yeah. And we have now had two different people walk in. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I can try to give you, like, some examples. Some anecdotal evidence. Yeah, of, like, this this feeling of not wanting to look into yourself to make a change. All right, go ahead. The first time I... The first time. The one time I ever dated somebody. (laughs) Um, I... That is my real laugh, by the way. I really do laugh like that. That wasn't even, like, joking. There's a lot that went wrong there. 
I'm not as, really... I mean, as the, how old were you? 17, 17, 18. Yeah, I mean, that's how it works when you're 17. Yeah. When people have relationships that go very well when they're 17, I am both jealous and worried for them. Yeah, I'm not going to point any fingers. I'm not going to place any blame. Neither of us were clean. Neither of us were at fault more than any other, depending on who you ask. But that's not the point right now. Um, the point right now is to sort of... I'm trying to explain why being afraid of introspection made it so I was afraid of change. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, I dated this girl for six months. Mm-hmm. And when, after, you're, when you're 17, that's a long time. Yeah. It was uh, actually from my 17th birthday until my 17th half birthday. Or my half birthday. Semi-birthday. Semi yeah. It was really weird how that worked out. Depending on when you start Wait, like, counting. Wait, like on the dot? Yeah, it depends on when you start counting. But you can technically start counting from my birthday to six my to my half birthday. Wow, dang! Like exactly that six months. That is kind of crazy, right? And it was like February. Dang! So like, you know, if it was any other month, then it wouldn't have been like an exact. It's weird. Anyway, point being, I didn't. It took me a long time to get over it because mm-hmm. there were a lot of things that I wasn't willing to admit I did wrong. No, I remember it was things. rough. Yeah, I mean. You and I weren't very close at the time. But I remember. I remember you talking about it for a long time afterward. I mean, even now, I can look back and say how bad things were because of choices I made, because of choices she made. And at the end of the day, um, if when it ended, I made, you know, I took that time and immediately looked in and immediately looked for what what I could improve on, what I needed to change. Not to get her back. Mm -hmm. Not to fix what was broken but to move forward, mm-hmm. then I wouldn't have been so afraid of that change as to the point that it took me six months to adjust to it. Mm-hmm. That, that ended up being a whole year of my life devoted to this. And honestly, I didn't get through that change because I got over it. I got over it after I got through the change because I got through the change through a completely separate means entirely. I didn't even end up doing the introspection. Mm-hmm. I did it like <clears throat> posthumously. I did it like way after I was over it which I realize how much of my life I could have gotten back if I just did it from the start. So one thing that I kind of live by is because change, change comes in a lot of forms, but there's a quote that I love and it is, a. Uh, this guy has said, whenever I hear someone talking ill of me, instead of trying to prove them wrong, the immediate first thing I do is I listen to what I I listened to what they had to say. This is paraphrasing. I do Mm -hmm. not remember it exactly. I listened to what they had to say about me. And then I look in and see if I can find where they got those ideas from. And every time I can find something that I do need to work on. Okay, very interesting. One of those, our first instincts as human beings, when somebody attacks us personally... Is defense. Is like defense. No, fight or flight. Like, no, they're wrong. It's untrue. Or you spiral into a depression. And you say, I'm an awful person. Yeah. Sometimes both. Yes, yes, or like I'm like, awful, but you're still wrong. Well, what happens? <laughs> well, what I experience is that I have an extremely strong fight or flight response, and it's a fight response. I have a super strong fight response. I had a very strong fight response, flight response, until about two, uh, three years ago. Then I developed an extremely strong fight response instead of a flight response. So what I usually do is I am willing. I I will just like dig my heels in and fight tooth and nail until like the person backs down. But then later that night, I will be up for the, pretty much the entire night thinking about how they were right about everything. I will spend years thinking about that. <laughs> well, sometimes. I mean that too. Like I tell you, I tell you there there was something that a woman said to me like six months ago, mm-hmm. not that long ago. It was like three months ago, and I still think about it pretty consistent, pretty consistently. Yeah, 
it was just like it, it, cut, it that kind of stuff cuts me really deeply bro yeah i get you so why are people afraid of change uh like you said because it's difficult it's uncomfortable you have to actually like look at yourself and that hurts so much like let me give you some examples so i was talking to a good friend of mine named uh chris love chris chris is a great guy i was talking to chris and uh i've been reading this book called the well do i even want to say that because one of my questions is what book are you reading right now yeah, okay just say you're reading a book so i'm reading a book and the book is this incredible psychological study of a particular demographic of people. And Chris is part of this demographic. But Chris doesn't behave the way this demographic typically does. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to rope all of you in together. You're all very unique and different people. But at the end of the day, you have some psychological similarities that lead to certain behaviors that after reading this book, or as I'm reading this book, I've been able to understand the decisions they're making better. Because of some situational things that is com- that is common. A-, a common thread of situational factors that goes through this demographic. Yeah. yeah. And Chris and I were talking specifically about... Um, he was telling me about this awful friend that they used to have that was like mid twenties when they were still 16 Mm -hmm. that was like horning in on like the 16 year olds. Okay. So, you know, some pedophilia stuff, like, you know, these adults. Very very big, like no, no. Like, yeah. Like that is bad. Going after minors from this adult perspective. And I was talking to him about it and he was talking about like some other friends that were in a similar situation and like different and all this stuff. And we're talking about like, why would somebody want to engage in that? Mm Mm-hmm. Not pedophilia, but in a relationship with that large an age gap. Okay. Just period. Yeah. And we were talking about like, now this isn't, you know, a a tell-all thing. This isn't like every single time this is why. But in this demographic, which he's a part of, he was saying that one of the reasons that he has found with people that are in this demographic that will make that decision is it's a thing about control. Mm -hmm. Because... When you don't do that introspection, when you don't look into yourself and get through these problems that you do need to deal with, you do need to say, this is something that's wrong. This is something I need to work on. Then you just leave it. Mm-hmm. And when you just leave it, you'll be left wanting, especially for control, because these this demographic is one that lost a lot of control early on in life. Yes. Now, that's one of the driving factors here is because they haven't properly and fully dealt with this trauma. They have a need a greater need for more control in their relationships. And that's consistent. That mat- that lines up really well with my personal experience. That mm-hmm. lines up really well with experiences of my friends. That absolutely does not sound false to me based on what I know. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. desire for control. And that doesn't mean that it's always going to be this, you know, 23-year-old dating a 16-year-old. It could honestly just be somebody, you know, being like, look, I'm, I have a stable job. I'm in college. My desire is to date somebody who becomes dependent on me mm-hmm. because then I have control in that relationship. I have a, it's a power imbalance. I have more authority here than they do. And that whole attitude, while not entirely bad, you know, cause the intention is not, it's not a conscious intent, which doesn't make it as bad as the subconscious intent implies it to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not accusing any of my friends of anything here. Yeah. I'm just saying that it's this, if you don't look in and you don't process this change properly, then you're going to be left with long-term repercussions, i.e., in the instance of this demographic, a need for control. Mm-hmm. Which can exhibit, which can lead to very... 
I mean, even in your friendships. <clears throat> yeah, well, which can lead to very damaging situations. Right, because you can put yourself in these situations where you're with people that maybe you shouldn't be with, mm -hmm. but you have more control over them. Yes. Does that mean you have more control over the situation? Typically, no. Yeah. So you, you give yourself this false sense of security because you're not willing to uh, like act. Be and, introspective. Because looking in hurts. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. To admit that there are flaws in your in in your makeup as a human being is a difficult thing to do. It's hard and we cannot you know properly adjust to change unless we're willing to do that. Did you ever read the uh the book with the mice and the cheese and the little men? That leaves a lot up to interpretation. Like you need to be very specific. It, that is literally what it's about. <laughs> it's about two men the size of mice that wear track suits, two mice they're all in a maze, and they're all running around looking for cheese. No, I did not. You never read, read that. that? No, I did not read okay, that. Okay, so those of you, who I, I have, want, I want to look it up right now. To be it's honest. really short. So I'm, uh, I'm gonna, while you're speaking, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, I'm just going to describe the story. So there's Sniff, Scurry, uh, like Tig and Tug or something. Sniff and Scurry are the mice, and then there's the two men. Now they all start in like Station A, and they're running around to like these different places trying to find cheese in this maze. Sniff. You know, he carefully, he'll sniff it out and then kind of follow the scent of the cheese. And every day he runs, he's moving around trying to find the cheese. Scurry, he's running just so fast trying to find the cheese. He'll hit dead ends, turn around, hit dead ends, turn around until he finds it. Sniff and Scurry are way better at finding cheese than the humans, even though the humans have smart human it? Yes. <laughs> it's called Who Moved My Cheese by Dr. Spencer Johnson. Right. That's and a plug for this book. The two people... Uh, you know, they, they're like, oh, we're smarter than these mice. We have these great human brains. When we find the cheese, we'll just live where the cheese is and hang out there. So they do find the cheese and they just live there for a while. One day they wake up and all the cheese is gone. Their names are Sniff, Scurry, Hem, and Haw. Yeah, Hem and Haw. I said Tig and Tug. Tig and Tug. Um, right, so Sniff, Scurry, Hem, and Haw. Sniff and Scurry, they'll find the cheese, they'll get their fill, they'll go off looking for new cheese. Mm -hmm. Hem and Haw, they found the cheese, they stopped. And they just waited. Eventually the cheese is just gone. They're like, well, who moved my cheese? Like, what happened here? Like, why is my cheese gone? And they get mad. They get furious. They start throwing a fit. They start starving themselves because their cheese is gone. Mm -hmm. And at one point, one of them realizes, one's just like, if I wait here, if I wait here forever, eventually the cheese will come back. And the other one realizes after a while, he's like, no, I have to go back out. I have to move with the cheese. The cheese moved. You got to chase that the was, cheese. Yeah, he's like, that's beyond my control. The cheese is gone. What's not beyond my control is whether or not I chase it or if I just stay here. And the one's just like, no, no, if we just stay here for long enough, eventually we'll get the cheese back. And Sniff and Scurry, those two rats are like three stations away. They're just eating they're their just, plethora of cheese. They're just chowing they're, cheese. They're chowing cheese every day. I mean, <laughs> because there's four different ways people react to change. Mm -hmm. Sniff, Scurry, Hem, and Haw. I don't remember which one's Hem and which one's Haw. Um, but Sniff and Scurry, Sniff are the people who carefully try to anticipate change. Mm -hmm. And then kind of follow where the anticipation brings them. Mm -hmm. Scurry are people who expect change and just barrel head on constantly, not even flinching when things change, just absolutely just trying to take things out. Mm -hmm. And the thing about this book is that they applied the psychology to like a workspace and found out that there were different chain, like different reactions to change that functioned better in different roles within a company. Mm -hmm. So then you had the hems and the haws. And I think it's the haws are the ones that, don't want change to happen. They hate it. They fear it. So they just sit and they so get angry. So they'll literally dig their heels in 
when there's change. Yeah. And they'll just say, I'm not changing. Yeah. They won't change because the change was bad. Mm-hmm. Then there's the other one, which is the one that is moving with the change. The The other human, the hem, is the one that says, I will take this for as long as I need it. But as soon as there's change, I'm not going to gripe. I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to move and adjust to the change. So the mice are more like anticipating change and the humans are more like pr- like kind of waiting for the change and then move either moving with it or getting angry that it happened. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding. I mean, it's been like five years since I read this book. Yeah. But uh, that's like my understanding of it. And that applies very well to why do people not like change? I mean... Mostly because it, it depends on their situation. It depends on your situation. It depends on your personality type. It yeah. depends on... And there's a lot of different types of change. What kind of change it is. We're, we're talking about like... If, like, personal change, why, why do people not like personal change? Why well, do let's people, just call one like, of our friends out, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do people not like personal change? Why do people not like workspace change? Why do people not like governmental change? Why do people not like yeah. social change? Like, why are they afraid of all of these things? And I think basically it comes down to, we, as human beings, we get comfortable in the things that we're familiar with. Yeah. And, for, and to challenge what we are familiar with and, and challenge the validity of it. Some people say, hate a change of scenery. And say, is there something that's better than this that we have been ignoring this whole time that could... But the, be better than what we have right now. Yeah, it's this refusal that things could be better or even just as good, different. Because mm-hmm. the goal isn't always, you know, bigger, better, best. Sometimes it's just this question of like, am I going to get something different and am I going to be okay with it? Mm-hmm. And if you say, no, I'm not going to be okay with different, then when different comes and it will, then you're just going to be mad. And what that requires is, you know, looking into yourself and saying, hey, well, how am I reacting to change? Why am I reacting to change this way? What do I need to work on? What am I so afraid of? What, what am I so afraid of when it comes to this source of change? Why does this, why does this scare me so much? At the end of the day, it's out of your control no matter what you do. Things will always change. So it's just, you have to look in and ask these questions. You have to figure it out. And, you know, what's more painful than that is asking for other people's help. Mm-hmm. To say to somebody like, hey, look, Tanner, I know I'm, all kinds of messed up. I am absolutely terrible human. Are you, are being you speaking? Are you speaking as yourself right now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I I'm a broken man. There's a lot wrong with. I me. Feel like this is 3 a.m. Suddenly my phone starts buzzing and JD's name is on the screen and so I answer and this is what I hear. I just need you to tell me what's wrong with me. And I roll over and turn the lamp on. <laughs> and then, and I mean like I don't mean it like that abrupt, that direct. But yeah. Like. Uh, but to look, but to reach out to someone, and say, look. I there need is, you to help me know what I need to work on. Yes, there is a problem in my life right now and I can't seem to solve it by myself. Or even, because I know that I have some kind of personality trait or flaw that I'm not capable of recognizing. Do you know what it is? Mm-hmm. And that hurts. That's a painful conversation. You don't want your friends, these people that you trust, to be like, yeah, you're narcissistic. Yeah, you're self-righteous. Yeah, you, you, know, you burp more than anybody I know. <laughs> um... You don't want, you know, sometimes you don't want to hear that kind of thing. Was it, was that offensive when I told you that? No, I think it's funny. <laughs> uh, but I don't consider myself narcissistic or self-righteous, which probably makes me both. <laughs> I had to say something that I think actually applies. Um, so it's like this difference in like consideration, but you have to like be willing to ask these questions. If you're not willing to ask yourself, be willing to ask somebody else. Mm-hmm. And you know, both things are incredibly painful, but without adjusting and you won't want to change i mean on the mission every my favorite time of the month or every other month was transfers every six weeks i got to either get a new person or go somewhere new and i lived for it i loved that change Mm -hmm. the change i didn't love is 
when it didn't happen. Yeah. When I was expecting change and I didn't get it, that was a form of change. And I got frustrated and I got angry and I got upset and I just threw a fit, dig my heels into the ground, had a terrible six weeks. I'm sure you could see a lot of the uh, who moved my cheese personalities on the mission too. Absolutely. You could, I mean, you see people, especially the first like six weeks you're on the mission, you yeah. pe- people come in and you immediately can tell what they're going to be. I can smell it in your blood. And the thing is, particularly in a mission sense, you there's no possible way to... There's no possible way to anticipate what's going, how a mission is going to change you personally. No, There's no I way mean, to do it. And there are people who think that they know what's going to happen. Right. Like I have, we have a mutual friend going on a mission. Mm. Who knows how they're going to be? Uh, no. Yeah. Well, because I could make a guess, but I'm probably completely wrong. And to be totally honest, the people who went, who I know who have gone into missions with zero expectations, they had no idea what they were getting themselves into have done better than people who thought that they knew exactly what was going to happen. Because what what my experience was is that people who thought they knew exactly what was going to happen, people who like planned for a mission from basically the day they were born, they like studied, they studied everything they should have studied, they knew exactly what was going to happen when they got out there, and then they get hit by a train when they realize it's not everything it's cra- they think it's going to be. When I pulled up to the MTC, my dad pointed at a guy and said, he's probably been here for four weeks. He says, he thinks he's hot stuff, he thinks he knows what he's got himself into. No, he knows the MTC. He doesn't know at all what it's like to be a missionary. Mm-hmm. And I kept that, you know, mindset in mind the whole time because I was like, after a week, I knew it, but like the back of my hand. I mean, I had been everywhere. I knew everything that there was to know about this facility. Then I got to Texas. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you were in Texas for a few weeks. Totally forgot about weeks. that. And it was completely different. And I felt awful all the time. And <laughs> then I got to Jamaica. <laughs> And it was so different. It was a whole nother world again. Nothing could possibly have actually prepared me for what Jamaica is other than living there. Yeah. The first thing I ate there is something called a patty and cocoa bread. Mm-hmm. They told me that's like a burger. I almost cried. I was so upset. It's not a burger. Not even close. It's uh, like pie dough stuffed with beef wrapped in this really sweet, soft bread. Really good. It's just not a burger. They're like, this is basically like the burger. And I was like, they don't even have burgers here. This is what I'm going to be eating all the time. I didn't have another patty for like seven months. <laughs> but you can verify they did taste good. I loved it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm almost willing to go back to Jamaica just to get one. <laughs> Maybe we can make one of those sometime. Yeah, we probably could actually. The recipe's probably, not yeah, it's probably, yeah, it's probably I not actually emailed one of my Jamaican friends today. Yeah. Because uh, I haven't talked to him in so long. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to talk to Kevin. Like, like a resident of Jamaica? He's on a mission in Jamaica. Though. Okay. So I emailed him and I was like, I need to talk to Kevin. I wonder if he knows how to make that stuff. He probably does. Kevin at least pretends to know how to cook everything. <laughs> I love Kevin so much. I am almost willing to take friends to Jamaica to meet uh, a couple of people. Kevin, uh, Brother Eddie, if he's still alive, President Francis, Brother Lee, uh, Bishop Scarlet's a freaking G. Uh, there's a couple of people in Yalis that I absolutely adored, but I'm not great with those names because I wasn't there for very long. So basically my ultimate reasoning saying why people don't expect change is because we are, we become very acquainted and comfortable with the familiar and challenging the familiar that we have become accustomed to and grounding our lives in is not something that we as human beings are comfortable with. Well, I think some of that's also the mindset of because things are different than I believed them to be, I was wrong entirely. Oh yeah. I would totally agree with that. 
I would absolutely being agree wrong with that. in one part does not mean that you were wrong across the board. And it's okay to be wrong. Yeah, it's it's okay to have a false perception of what the world is and what go, better what's than good being and what's wrong right. is being willing to admit you're wrong and move on from it. Honestly, uh, one of the most attractive qualities that I see when I'm dating somebody is if they can admit they were wrong. And to be totally honest, it's one of the reasons my last really I, I broke up with my last girlfriend was because she refused to ever admit that she was wrong, and I just couldn't deal with that. Yeah, I mean, I'll keep that in mi- <laughs> in mind. I. Uh, Man, I know it's completely off the subject, but I am going to say this on the podcast. Go ahead. I love this tweet. What tweet? The tweet I keep talking about and showing people. Oh, the one that you made today? Yes. Not today, yesterday. Oh, yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. I think this is funny. What I said about if you want to date me, (laughs) I hope people realize it was satire. I don't know if they do, but we'll see. Well, only one person liked the tweet, so I assume they don't. So it's a pretty safe thing to have said on Twitter because only one person ever liked it. Yeah, so I mean, like, I mean, what's the worst case scenario? So I've been saying to Tanner over the last like three days, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe three ish, days, ish, the last seventy-two hours, ish. I've had this great idea that I'm gonna download every single dating app that I can think of, um, and make this my bio, and then just see what kind of people match with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is what would you like to make your bio? If you want to date, you must be okay with the following. I will rob you. I will eat your flesh. I will ignore you for five days after every in-person interaction. I will talk to your mom more than you. You aren't allowed to have friends. If you're okay with these things, hit me up. And this is more of a social experiment than anything, I think. Yeah, it's mostly a social experiment. I mean, at the end of the day, like, the bottom line is I would never use a dating app to try to actually meet somebody to date them. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'd ever try to meet any of the people that respond to that in person, period. You get some freaks. I mean, yeah, maybe I'd hang out with a couple of them, but just to see, just to see. But uh, also to all of you listeners out there, if you're okay with those things, go ahead and email us at uh, JD and Tanner talk about stuff at Gmail that gets forwarded to my private email, which I will respond to you on mm-hmm. and we can, uh, we can set up a time for me to rob you or eat you. All right. Do you have any other questions for me? <laughs> How long's the episode? We are now at 30 minutes. You know what? Let's just write a short one. All right. We good. Wait, are you, wait. So not another question. I thought you said you were going to rapid fire one more at me. No, I don't have any more. Okay, let me... Actually, I want to see if I have one more. Let me see if I have one more that we can answer real quick. Because I did have some good ones that really are just like short questions. I had some short ones, but I don't want to answer them right now. Why is the sky blue? Now, here's the crazy thing. When I was... When I was maybe 14, I got on ask.com. Because, and I made an account because I thought I was super smart and I thought I could, I could answer people's, people's questions. And, okay. and I did answer some questions more correctly than most people, which was, I was, I was very, it kind of inflated my ego a little bit. And then I saw this question. Somebody had asked, why is the sky blue? And I prepared to answer. I looked at the people who've already answered seeing if, did they already answer it? Not a single person had given the actual answer. Really? I was 14 and I knew the answer. And there were people that I could... I saw their profile pictures. They were like maybe in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Or they say stuff about like reflecting off the yeah, ocean. Yeah, they said, they said like, well, like, well, it's the reflection of the ocean. That's, That's why it's blue. That's true. I said... Well, and I said... Uh, so I got in. I was very professional. I said, actually, the reason the sky is blue be- is because of the ozone layer of the atmosphere. It reflects blue light back to Earth as the sunlight passes through it. Mm-hmm. Um, that means re- it's absorbing every color but blue. Yes. And means- I said... That's the weird thing about color. My brain understands that the color is showing us the one color something isn't. Mm-hmm. 
that's the color we perceive it to be. Yeah. Is the one that it's not. So I said, uh, and so I said, actually, contrary to uh, apparently the popular belief in this thread, the ocean is not, the sky is not blue because of the ocean. The ocean is blue because of the sky. The sky <laughs> puts blue light into the ocean. The ocean does not, is not inherently blue. It is water. Water does not have an inherent color. Water's clear. Water is clear. That's why you don't get a nice blue glass of water That's from why the on fridge. A, why on a cloudy day the ocean does not look blue, it looks gray. Mm-hmm. It's, uh... I mean, and then there's different chemical contents in the ocean that make it reflect differently, but that's not the point. The point's the sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sky is blue because the ozone layer in the atmosphere. Which is a very, very simple answer to a very common question. Yes. Um, I was gonna say something. I had a joke. Oh, freak. Hold on. Sky blue ozone color complex complex god complex ocean chemicals ocean. in the ocean <laughs> chemicals in the water let's turn the freaking frogs gay <laughs> i cannot remember the shout joke. out to alex jones for that one yeah at alex jones um at infowars at infowars you guys are welcome to come on I, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love, love to be on yours i would love actually. to have i would love to be on a show with alex jones just i just want to pick his brain a little bit to be honest me too um Anyway, I can't remember my joke. All right, should we call it a day? Yeah, hands in the middle. All right. Classic uh, sign-off. Classic sign-off. One, two, two three. three. The end. You didn't say anything. I was going to see what you were going to do that time. Well, yeah, but like last time I didn't say anything, so it's kind of weird that you didn't say anything this time. Well, imagine if neither of us had said anything. Maybe next time. And then I just sign off. We don't know. We'll find out.